We have been going through the book of Philippians for the last uh, three months now. And Pastor Rick has been taking us through just section by section as we've studied God's Word. And this morning, we just got a real treat for you as uh, our friend uh, Keith Farron has, has come. And he is going to share the entire book of Philippians with you in only the way that Keith can do it. And if you were around for married life uh, a few months ago, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, Keith lives up in the Washington area, and he is a, uh, a speaker, an encourager, a pastor, and he is my friend. Would you please welcome Keith Farron? Come on up, Keith. Well, good morning. This is a special weekend for me. It was 20 years ago today, exactly, Thanksgiving Sunday of 1991, that I accepted the call to become a youth pastor, which was awesome because that meant for the next six years that I was youth pastor, I didn't have to grow up. Graduated from college, didn't feel like growing up, became a youth pastor. Any youth pastor that tells you they did it for any other reason is not telling the truth. But it was a couple years later, it was in the spring of 93, I was having lunch with one of my best friends, a guy who was a youth pastor at another church in town. This was in Tacoma, Washington. And, uh, And he said to me, hey, there's this guy coming to our church Sunday night who has memorized the entire gospel of Luke. And he gets up on stage with no sets, no props, no costumes, no other actors and actresses, and he just quotes it. And as he quotes it, he kind of acts it out. And so as you might imagine, the first thought that went through my head was, that's a lot. (laughs) The second thought that went through my head was, would someone really want to listen to that for almost two hours? I mean, I wasn't trying to be sacrilegious or anything, but my idea about what memorized, quoted scripture sounded like brought me back to my elementary school days growing up in central Kansas, where once a year they would stand the second grade Sunday school class up in front of big church, and one at a time, really frightened eight-year-olds would go, just... John 3.16, for God so loved the world, that gave us one only son, who is I believe in him, should not perish, but I have eternal life, John 3.16. Right? And then the next one, John 3.16, for God to love the world, the game is what? Who's seen this happen? Right? <laughs> and so there's this disconnect for me between memorized, quoted scripture and good drama. But I figured if anybody could make it interesting, it would be this guy. His name is Bruce Kuhn, and he had been in the Broadway cast of Les Mis. So for you non-drama people, that's above average. <clears throat> And the best way that I can describe what happened for me that night is that the living Word of God went from being a phrase to a reality. And I find as I travel around the world, for most people, the living Word of God is a phrase that they desperately wish was a reality. It has nothing to do with whether people believe it's true or not. Believing something's true and believing something's alive are two very different things. So I ended up getting to know this guy. I ended up taking him to lunch the next day, and I asked him how he did it and what it was like and all that. And he said, well, what if instead of memorizing this and this and this verse here and this verse here, what if you just took a section of Scripture and you just hung out there until you knew it? 
You just soaked in it until you knew it. And I remember thinking, my whole life, I've heard about studying the Bible. I've never heard anybody talk about hanging out with it or soaking in it. So I took him up on his challenge, and that summer of 93, I, you know, wanted to do something different. He had done Luke, so I chose Philippians. <laughs> and I just read Philippians every day, read Philippians every day, read Philippians every day. And I got to the end of that summer, and I realized that I knew it. And it didn't sound the same way that it had sounded in my head for the first 20 years that I hung out with Jesus. It was alive, and I could find myself picturing the church in Philippi a couple thousand years ago, getting together to hang out and talk about Jesus and having somebody stand up and say, you know, I had something that I was going to share today, but, uh, but you know what? We got this letter from Paul, and you've got to hear this. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. And God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains... Most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I will rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice because I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. 
I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. (laughs) But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and that I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted you on behalf of Christ Jesus not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggles you saw I had, now I hear that I still have. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, Consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining. Or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. In order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. 
For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself. Because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, almost died, but God had mercy on him. And not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. (laughs) Welcome him in the Lord with great joy. Honor men like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help that you could not give me. Finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. (laughs) In regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness in my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so, somehow, to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers. And take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. 
For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their, their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friend. Now, I plead with Iodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Now I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matters of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, <laughs> but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment, even more. I am amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs 
according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you their greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Amen. risking his life to make up for the help that you could not give me. Finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision. We are who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. (laughs) In regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, Persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so... Somehow, to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and Reigning toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers. Take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many 
live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Now, I plead with Iodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matters of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift. <laughs> I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They were a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.
Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you their greetings. <laughs> all the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen? Amen. Amen. Wasn't that awesome? Well, I guess it was a little over a year ago. I was out here at our married life event, and Keith had come, and he did that. And I knew we were going to go into the book of Philippians, and so we scheduled him a long, long time ago to be here on this weekend as we wrap up uh, this series. And I hope over in the, the venue it translated well for you, because over here just seeing it live was pretty, pretty powerful. And uh, I want to welcome you all here with us, and like Bobby shared, uh, if, if you're visiting with us, we, we've been in a series here at Big Valley Grace for the past 12 weeks where we've been going through the, the book of Philippians together, and today it comes to an end. Next week, Lord willing, we'll begin the Christmas uh, season here at Big Valley Grace. And to wrap up the series, we're going to look at one of the greatest promises that you're going to find in all of the, the Bible, and it's in Philippians chapter 4, so you can all turn there. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be in your notes, it'll be on the jumbotrons. Uh, those of you that are listening on live and on, online, we have hundreds of you, you can actually, uh, on our website, click onto the note sheet right now if you'd like to follow along also. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 4, look at, look at verse 10. He said, how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have a chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or with little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulties. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now to get us started, I, I want you to think about all the different relationships that you have, okay? Okay. Right now, just kind of, you know, rattle through your mind all the, the, the different relationships you have. If you're married, you have a relationship with your spouse, right? If you got kids, you have a relationship with your children. Maybe you have a relationship with your grandkids. You have a relationship with your parents. You have a relationship with your grandparents. You have a, a relationship with friends. Maybe you go to school with friends. That, that you've known for years, maybe in college. You have friends that you uh, hang out with, relationships with, with neighbors. 
You have a relationship with those that you work with. You have relationships with your brothers and sisters right here at Big Valley Grace. Uh, uh, you have relationships with those that might be in your small group. You have relationships maybe with those that are in the band or the choir or the orchestra or some his team that you're in, involved in. You have a relationship with the Lord. But there's one relationship that I guarantee you none of you thought about, but it's absolutely critical. You have a relationship with your money. It's true. You and your money have a relationship with each other. And like any of the relationships that you have, if you get it wrong, it can be messy. If the relationship between you and your spouse gets goofed up, it's messy, isn't it? If you and the relationship you have with your kids, if it kind of gets messed up, man, wow, it can be difficult. If, if the relationship that you have with maybe a neighbor, your parents or whatever, gets messed up, wow, it can be difficult, can it? And the same thing is true with the relationship that you have with your money. If you goof that up, wow, it can be messy. But like all relationships, if you get it right, it can be awesome, can't it? Someone once said that money is like a wild stallion. And if you don't tame it, it'll take you on a wild ride for the rest of your life. And some of you have been on that wild ride, haven't you, for the last couple of years? You, you, you didn't tame the wild stallion, right? And now you're paying for it, aren't you? I really loved that quote. It's like a wild stallion, your money. And if you don't tame it, wow, it can take you on a wild ride. And because God knew this, he gave us a bunch of great wisdom in the Bible that can help you and your money, the, the wild stallion, have a good and healthy relationships. Now, now, relationship. now I, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, what does this have to do with the text that you just read? Well, I think, or at least I hope it's going to become clear as we kind of get through this. Okay, I want you to look at verse 19 again. Okay, look at verse 19. The Holy Spirit fills Paul. And God wants these people at Philippi to know something. He says, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. One version says, my God will use his wonderful riches in Christ Jesus to give you everything you need. Beloved, without a doubt, this is one of the greatest promises in, in all of the Bible, maybe the greatest. But it's also one of the most misunderstood promises in the Bible. Because I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, that verse isn't true, Pastor Rick. God hasn't met my needs. Or maybe you know some people that for whatever reason, their needs aren't being met. So why is that? Is God a liar? 
Is this promise not a reality? Beloved, the reason some people's needs aren't being met, maybe yours, is because you haven't followed God's instructions in verses 10 through 18, which are the how-tos of the promise. You see, all throughout the Bible, God makes these wonderful promises to us, his children. But a, a lot of those promises come with some conditions that you have to fulfill if you're going to experience these promises. Let, let me give you a little taste of what I'm talking about. The prophet Isaiah said this. He said, he, that's God, will keep in perfect peace all who trust in him, whose thoughts turn often to the Lord. Beloved, God promises to keep you in perfect peace. That's what the Bible says. But you have a role to play in this promise. You see it? You've got to turn your thoughts often to God. Now, if you make the choice not to turn your thoughts often to God, well, the problem doesn't mean anything. And by the way, just being here this morning for this hour and a half and 168 hour a week isn't turning your thoughts often to God. Yes, you're turning your thoughts to God. And for an hour and a half, we've sang about God and, and we've prayed and, and, and man, we've heard the scriptures and the words being proclaimed and, and we're turning our thoughts to God, but this isn't often. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at Philippians chapter four, verse six, where the Bible says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. Okay, that, that's your role. You've got to stay connected to the Lord. And what happens if you do your part? Verse 7 says, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. Beloved, God promises peace to his people. He was known as the Prince of Peace. In the Old Testament, he had the name Jehovah Shalom. He is the Lord of Peace. And he promises you peace, but you've got a role to play in this. Otherwise, the promise really didn't mean anything. Psalms 37 says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. God promises to give you the desires of your heart. That's what it says. But you have a role to play in the promise. You've got to delight yourself in the Lord. You've got to make his will the most important thing in your life. You've got to submit your life over to him. You, you've got to put your focus on him. And when you do that, when his will becomes the number one thing in your life, wow. He promises he'll give you the desires of your heart. Now here's the big one. The big one's found in Romans chapter 10. The Bible says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Beloved, God promises to save you from your sins. But you have a role to play in this promise. You have to call upon his name. Your sins separated you from God. Your sins messed up the relationship you had with the Father. Your sins came with a consequence. The, 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 the punishment of God was on your life, my life. We were eternally separated from God. And God says that if you would call upon the name of the Lord, he'll save you. It's a promise. He'll cleanse you of your sin. He'll make everything right between you and God. It's a promise. 
But if you don't call upon his name, it doesn't mean anything. Jesus said in John chapter 3, for God so loved the world, for God so loved you, that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him, whoever gives their life over to Jesus Christ, they won't perish in their sins, but they'll have eternal life. Beloved, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. God wants to, to, to be with you forever in heaven. That's what he longs for. And he promises he will save you. He promises he will cleanse you of your sin. Your role is, is you have to believe in his son. And if you don't, well, the promise really doesn't mean a whole lot. Here's the bottom line. The reason some people don't experience some of God's promises is because they haven't followed the, 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 the instructions that God leaves on how to experience them. That makes sense, doesn't it? I could have went on and on and on and on. Now, I want to go back to verse 19, okay? Look back there. The Bible says, once again, and this same God who takes care of me, Paul says, will supply all your needs from his glorious riches. I mean... That's, un, that's unbelievable. That the Holy Spirit fills Paul and says, Paul, I want you to tell those people at Philippi. I want you to tell those people that just like I supply all of your needs, you tell them, you, 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 you declare this, that I'm going to meet their needs too. How is that? How does that happen? God promises to meet all your needs, but you've got a role to play in this. So what are the how-tos? What do you have to do to make the promise of verse 19 here a reality? Well, I want to give you a few thoughts. Okay, this isn't a comprehensive list, but it's just a few thoughts, all right? Number one, your role is to have a concern for others. God will meet your needs when you have a concern for others. God will meet your needs when you're concerned about the needs of other people. Beloved, the reason Paul could say with total confidence that God was going to meet the, the needs of these people was because these people cared deeply about others, specifically Paul. Now, how do I know they cared about others? How do I know that they cared about Paul? Well, one of the ways I know is, is that they opened up their wallets and they gave. They opened up their wallets and took some of the wild stallion out of it. They opened up their purses and their pocketbooks and they took some of the wild stallion out and gave it away. By the way, I want you to know, these people weren't rich. In fact, the people at Philippi were poor. They were extremely poor. Poor. There isn't anybody in this room who could understand how poor they were. Because 99.2% of you in this room I want you to know when I was reading this, this passage this week and studying, I was just really convicted. When I read about this church at Philippi this shirt I got on is worth more 
than what the people in Philippi and that church would have made probably in a year. I mean, they were poor. But they cared about other people to the degree that they gave out of their poverty. And when you've got a heart like that, when you're concerned for people like that, let me tell you something. The God who we serve looks down and he says, man, I'm going to take care of you. I'll make sure that all your needs are met too. That you would have that kind of concern. Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was. And this is what he said. He said, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. There's a lot of things in the Bible, my friends, that are, are difficult to understand. That, that's pretty simple, isn't it? You don't have to be a genius to figure out what Jesus is saying. You don't have to have some big Bible degree to figure what that, what that means, right? Jesus said the greatest thing you could do with your life, the greatest commandment is, is that you would love God. Love God. Care about God. Give your life to God. Follow God. Make God's will your will. Jesus said, this is the first and the greatest commandment, but if there's a second, that's equally important. Equally important. That is love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the commands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. In other words, you could take the entire Bible and just kind of boil it all down. Jesus said, here it is. Here it is. You want to boil this whole thing down. You love God, and then you love other people. You take care of other people. You, you make sure that you're concerned about other people. Don't just be concerned about your own life. If you truly love me, if my will really is the thing that just floods your whole life, then let me tell you something. You better be concerned about others. You better care about others. And let me tell you something. This church at Philippi, and it wasn't a very big church, they got it. They got the greatest commandment. They knew they loved God. And they also got the second greatest one. They cared deeply about other people. And in this case, they cared deeply about Paul and the work that God was doing through the life of Paul. You see, all throughout the scriptures, we're told to care about others. And when you do, when, when you obey God and care about other people the way people in, in Philippi cared about Paul, I want you to know something. God says, I will take care of your needs. I got you covered. Now, as I thought about this, I, I began to think about why people give. And some of you are thinking, hey, man, we didn't take the offering this morning. Woo-hoo! <laughs> There's one thing a preacher never forgets. <laughs> and that's the offering. Uh, we're going to get there in just a moment, Okay. But I began to think about why people give. What motivates people to write out a check and, and put it in an offering? And just a little bit, you're, you're going to have a chance to just do what the scriptures say. And, and why? Why do we give? Well, I did a little thinking, a little research, and this is what I came up with. Okay, number one, some people give because they must. 
What motivates them is legalism. I've got to give, you know. They feel like they have to give. It's an attitude that says, you know, if I don't give something to God, then maybe he won't love me as much. If I don't give something to God, maybe he won't like me. Or worse yet, maybe if I don't put something in, you know, the offering, if I don't take the wild stallion out and give it away, then, then, then maybe I won't even get into heaven. Unfortunately, I know a lot of pastors that use this as a motivator to get their people to give. Number two, some people give because they think they'll get Okay, what motivates them is selfishness. They figure if I give God, you know, 100 bucks and he'll give me back 1,000 in return. In other words, the only reason they give is because of what they think God's gonna give back to them. And we see that a lot on TV from those, those losers on, on, on the television who say, you know, send me 10 bucks, you know. They call it seed money and God will return it tenfold. Some people give because they have. And what motivates them is, is guilt. They look at their home. They look at all the stuff in their home. They look at their cars. They, they look at their clothes. They, they look at their jewelry. They look at the vacations they go on. And, and then they look at the rest of the world, and they feel guilty about what they have. And so that's what motivates them to give. You know, man, I better give something away because I got all this stuff. Some people give because of last week. And th th this one's really important. What motivates them is habit. They give because they gave last week, and they gave the week before that, and then they gave the week before that, and then they gave the week before that. And for some of you, you know what? You just kind of wake up, and it's Sunday, and you show up, and you write a check out, because that's what you've been doing for decades. You don't even think about it anymore. It's just become habit. And I want you to know, you've got to watch out for this one. You see, when you first began to give, it was an act of worship, wasn't it? I remember, I thought back to when I first began to give. I gave my life to Christ here at Big Valley Grace when it was over on Stanford Avenue. And I remember sitting in those chairs and the little basket came by. And I knew, man, the Holy Spirit within me knew I was supposed to take some of the wild stallion out. Now, at first it was a little difficult. Think back, Christian. Remember those first days? You know, your flesh is still in control, you know, and your flesh wants the wild stallion. The flesh wants to, wants it, and you're going to just give it away? But you knew you were supposed to, and so you took a few shekels out or whatever it was, and you put it in there, and before you know it, it really became a, an act of worship. It was a beautiful moment. But for too many of you, it's now just become this habit Beloved, every time you give, you should, you should take a moment and just enjoy, you know, having that, that check in your hand. That, that little, uh, maybe I put mine in the offering last hour. Oh, here it is. You know, when my wife and I write this out and we put it in this envelope, before it ever goes into the, the deal, and we usually sit right down there. Man, it's a special moment. It's an act of worship. You see, it's, you, you can stand out there and sing the songs, you know, and that's an act of worship. That, that's a, one of the ways you worship God and, and be thrilled about what God's doing in your life and what God's done in your family's life. And man, and it's great to hear the word proclaimed. It's one of the ways we worship God. 
We worship God when we pray and trust him. But also one of the ways we worship God is when we actually take the wild stallion out and give some of it back to God. And it's easy to forget that, especially when you've been a Christian a while. It just becomes something you, you, you do. So why should you give? What should be your motivation for giving? Well, I think there's lots of reasons, but, but, I, but I think these Christians here at Philippi teach us that one of the great motivators, not the only one, but one of the great motivators for giving is, is concern. These Christians were concerned. One of the reasons Aaron and I give is because we're concerned about people. Aaron and I give because we're concerned about the children of our church. Now, I don't have any children over there in our, our new children's wing, but I'm concerned about them. I want them to know Jesus Christ. I want them to have an, a place where they can come with teachers that are trained. I want them to be able to sit in little tiny chairs so that teachers can tell them the reality of Christ. But those little chairs just didn't pop up one day. The materials that we use over there just don't magically appear. I don't take some pixie dust and throw it in there and poof, there's all the material. Doesn't happen that way. We have to purchase all that stuff. And because my wife and I are concerned about the children of this church, your children, we give. I want the kids of this church to know and love Jesus Christ. I want to have the best trained workers on the planet. I want to have a great area for them to come to. I'm concerned about them, so I give. My wife and I are concerned of the youth of our church. I want to disciple the teenagers of our church. I want to reach the lost teenagers in our community. I'm so thankful for Joel Boone, an incredible high school pa pastor. How do you think we pay for his salary? How do you think he gets paid to wake up each day and pray for the teenagers and dream about how to reach teenagers and, and disciple a staff that they could disciple other teenagers? It's because my wife and I take a few of the wild stallions out of our pocket and put it in an envelope just like many of you do. My wife and I are concerned about the men and women of our church. So we give. We're concerned about the marriages of our church. So we give. We got an incredible counseling department at our church. Most of you don't even know about it. And we've developed all of these great counselors. I mean, they've gone through some major training. And they're excellent at what they do. And throughout the week here, there are people who are being counseled, marriages that are being saved. And a lot of times, there, there are people who don't even go to this church. We do a lot of the marriage counseling for a lot of churches because we have the resources to do it. But that just doesn't happen. It happens because a whole lot of people are concerned. We're concerned about the missionaries of our church, so we give. We're concerned about reaching people with the good news, so we give. Listen to me. You can't really say you care about people or that you really love others or have a concern for others if you're not willing to part with some of your shekels, if you're not willing to take some of the wild stallion out and give it away. You can't. Now, I know some of you are going to disagree with me. Uh, yeah, I can. Jesus said this. 
Jesus said, where your money is, where the wild stallion is, that's where your heart's going to be. He didn't say it the other way around. He said, you show me where this is, and I'll show you where this is. So if you disagree with me, I'll go with Jesus. These, these people at, at Philippi got it. They got it. They loved God. And because they loved God, they loved others. They were, had a concern for others. And so even, even in their poverty, they gave. Here's the bottom line. When you have a genuine concern for others, you're well on your way to having God meet all of your needs as well. But there's a second thing, and they go hand in hand. You know, if you want to make the promise of verse 19 a reality in your life, you've got to become a generous giver. Okay, this is your role. God will meet your needs when you're a generous giver. I want you to look at, at verse 15 again. Paul says, as you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. No other church did this. Here's this little group of people who had nothing. Poor. Verse 16 says, even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. And these people were generous, not, you know, over and over again, not just one time. Verse 18 says, at the moment I have all I need and more, I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. And I, be, I just began thinking, you know, they didn't have anything. You remember the story where Jesus takes a couple of fish and a couple of loaves of bread and there's 15,000 people on a mountainside and he takes that little kid's sack lunch and he prays and the next thing you know, he's feeding everybody and he's got a bunch of food left over? I don't know. I don't want to make the scripture say anything they don't say, but in my brain, in my imagination, and I got a big one, I imagine they took that offering up and someone's traveling across, you know, the country trying to get this offering to Paul. And guess what's happening? God's doing the same thing with that offering as he did with the fish and loaves. Because that offering couldn't have been much. They didn't have much. But all of a sudden, when they get it, wow. God took the generosity of this group of people. And he did something amazing with it. Just like God took a, a, a kid's sack lunch. Hey, he's all I got. And Jesus said, you give me what you got. And then watch what I do with it. I don't know. Beloved, the reason Paul could say with absolute certainty that God was going to meet all the needs of these Christians at this church at Philippi was because God always meets the needs of people who are generous with their money. Now, let me tell you something. Let me tell you what I know about you, or at least the 99.2% of you over in the venue in here. I know that all your needs are being met. I know it. You know how I know that? Because you're a generous person. 
group of people. I know. I know what's going on at other churches. And I know what's going on here. And the reason why the overwhelming majority of your needs are being met in this church is because this is a generous church. In fact, I thought, this really is a, 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 a Philippi church. You are generous people. Unbelievable how generous you are. And because you're generous, guess what God does? He meets your needs. In fact, God is so incredibly awesome. Guess what he's done? He's not only met 99.2% of your needs in here, those of you that are in here, but he's also met your wants, hasn't he? And in about 25 or 26 days, you're going to open up a whole bunch of gifts and you're going to have a whole bunch of more stuff you don't want. You never asked for. You don't even know what you're going to do with it. You'll re-gift it. That's what you'll do with it. Isn't that true? So God, not only I know, is meeting all of your needs because you're generous, but God is so fantastic and so wonderful. He also gives you things you really don't even need. And that's how great he is. Listen to me carefully. The Bible teaches very clearly that everything you have has been given to you by God. And that includes the wild stallion you have in your wallet. And sometimes God who gave you that money wants you to take it out of your wallet and give it away. And I know that can be scary, especially if you don't have much. But don't forget that at any moment, God can give it back to you again. God can bless you again. In fact, God can give it back to you quicker than you give it away. I meet a lot of people who say, you know, boy, Pastor Rick, you know, when, when my business really gets going, that's when I'm going to really give. Or, man, I hit the lottery, you know. Wow, well, I do great things for God. You know, yeah, right, okay, yeah, right. You know God's calling you to give. You know God's calling you to be generous. And maybe the reason why your business hasn't taken off, maybe the reason why things aren't going very well is because you've not been generous. And maybe God's just waiting for you to trust him. I know this group of people in Philippi, wow. They just, they just had to trust the Lord. Paul said this in Acts chapter 20. He said, you should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. And Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And that's the truth. It is more blessed to give. Someone once said, God, God's riches are not an invitation to luxury. They're an opportunity for generosity. Beloved, when God blesses you with a few extra shekels, it's easy to think luxury, isn't it? It's easy to, to, for your first thought to be, yes, I, I'm going to go buy that cool new thing I've always wanted or whatever, right? And the reason why I wrote that is because that's what I do. Huh, man, my tax person comes back and says, hey, you're going to get you know, an extra X amount of dollars. Woo! Yes, luxury. Immediately my flesh takes over and I think about what I can do, what I can get. What's a new shirt I can have? What's a new gadget I can have? What's that cool new thing I can get? Maybe that isn't true for you. Like I said, when I was writing this, that's what came into my mind. That's what I do. But if you really think about it, God put you on this earth to make a difference. He created you for more than just getting the new coolest gadget 
or having the new best whatever. Now listen to me. Nothing wrong with having a cool gadget. Nothing wrong with having the best whatever. Nothing wrong with that. The problem is, is when that is the only thing you think about. And you never take the wild stallion out and, 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 and be concerned about others. What God's doing right here. God wants to change the world, and every dollar bill God gives you is simply an opportunity to do just that. Beloved, just about everything God made gives. God made the sun, and it gives. God made the moon, and it gives. God made the stars, and they give. God made the clouds, they give. God made the earth, it gives. God made the seas, they give. God made the trees and the flowers, they give. God made the animals, and they give. Just about everything God created gives, and he made you. Do you give? Are you generous? God wants you to give. I, I think you were created to give. In fact, I believe that we as human beings are at our very best when we're giving. I do. Why? Because God's a giving God. Look, birds have uh, feet, right? So they can walk. Birds have claws so they can hang on to a branch. But birds were meant to fly. And they're at their very best when they're flying. And I think that's true of God's people. We're at our best when we give, when we're generous. When you look at the Trinity, the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And here was this moment when the Father gives His Son to come down here and die on a cross. And the Bible says that we're to be imitators of God. And I, I see a God who's unbelievably giving. Now what happens when you know, you're, you're genuinely concerned about others and you're generous with your money. Well, Proverbs chapter 11 says this, the generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Jesus said this in Luke chapter six. He says, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you will the amount you give will determine the amount you get back. I didn't write that. Jesus did. Beloved, when, when, when you're generous, God blesses you. When you're generous, when you care about others, look, God promises to meet your needs. In just a moment, we're going to receive our offering, and we're going to give you a chance to, to, to be generous. And for the most part, you know, it is a worshipful time for us here. For the overwhelming majority, this is an incredible moment. And as I said, you, you are generous people. But you know what? There are a few of you here. Maybe you came to faith in Christ last week, last month, or for some of you, maybe you've been here a while. And you enjoy the chair you're sitting in. You enjoy the fact that this building is, is being you know, warmed up a little bit because it's cold outside. You like it when we turn the air conditioners on and it's cool during the summer. The MID doesn't say, well, because you're a church, we'll just let you cool it and heat it for free. 
enjoyed the music, right? You know, we have to pay for all that. The people that write those songs just don't say, oh, go ahead and play it for free. These guitars and drums and all this stuff just don't grow on some tree we got planting in the back, you know, and on church property. I don't know how it works, but these trees just pop up and instruments are on them. Some of you enjoy everything that we do around here, but you've never given. You've never been generous. And maybe today's a day it needs to start for you. And not because we need the money. God doesn't need your money. It's what it does in your life. It's what it does for you. That's why this moment is such an important moment. Now, before we give, let me just share with you quickly three reasons why you ought to give, why this is an important moment. And I realize some of you, you know, you got paid last week and you brought your gift last week. That's okay. Some of you get paid once a month. I get paid every other week. And so this happens to be the week that I have my, you know, my, my offering. I met a guy last night who gets paid every three months, every quarter. He's in the financial world, and so he brings a gift every quarter. God, God knows this. But let me give you three reasons why you ought to give. Number one, your giving is an encouragement to others. Last weekend here, we went out and delivered food to over 600 families. And if there's four people in a family, let's just say, that's over 2,400 people who had food last week and this week who weren't going to have any food last week or this week. You think that was an encouraging moment for them when somebody from Big Valley Grace showed up, knocked on the door with all these bags of food? You bet it was encouraging. You think those hams and turkeys just magically appeared here? No, we had to go out and buy them. We had to go buy all those groceries. And the only way we could do that is because so many of you are generous. You're generous. And by the way, we just don't do that one time a year. If you're visiting with us every month here, I think we help about 250 new families every month who have fallen on difficult times. Some of them are from this church. And we give them groceries. Last weekend, if you were here, in every one of the gatherings, people walked into the altar room and gave their life to Jesus Christ. And this is uh, some of the cards. I actually met with all these people in the altar room. And they walked into that room and gave their life to Jesus Christ last weekend. Their sins have been forgiven. Forever they will spend their eternity with God in heaven. You think they're encouraged? bet. And the only reason why we can do that is because of this. There's a whole lot of children over there that I know have been laughing and giggling and they love being with their teachers and all the stuff. You think those children are encouraged? You bet they're encouraged. Every time you give, it's an encouragement to others. Number two, your, your giving is an investment in the future, in eternity. How many of you have been at this church less than 20 years? Raise your hand. Come on. You've been here, look, woo! Hey, do you realize that there were people who gave, who, who gave so that this building could be here and they never got to sit in it because they died and went to be with the Lord before this thing got open? But when we were a little tiny church on Staniford Avenue, they gave, they gave, they sacrificed, and then they died and went to heaven, never got to sit in this building. But here you are. This building just didn't magically appear. Somebody sacrificed 
I was thinking about some of those people, John Fraioli sitting right back there, and him and I have served here for decades, and I was just thinking back to some of those people remembering some of those great leaders of our church who gave sacrificially, gave and gave and gave and gave because they knew that we were going to be a church that reached people for Christ and discipled people, and they gave. And they're with the Lord right now, and they never got to sit in any of these chairs because they were thinking about something greater. Your giving is an encouragement, and your giving is an investment in the future. And last but not least, your, your giving is a sacrifice to God. Anytime you have a spirit of generosity, a spirit of giving, it's encouragement to others, it's an investment in, in eternity, and it's a sacrifice that's pleasing to, to God. I'm going to ask our hosts and hostesses to come forward. I'm going to ask the band to come on up here. And, and here's the deal. Here's the deal. I know you filled in your last blank, and so your brain tends to just shut off. We're not done worshiping the Lord. And God knows that you brought your gift last week. He knows that, but this is still a great time to worship the Lord and pray that as these gifts are given to the Lord, that it's used to, to, to encourage others. That's an investment in eternity. And we're going to sing a, just a, a couple songs, and then I got one last thing I'm going to share with you before we head out of here and go enjoy our afternoon, okay? Father, thanks for this moment. May there be great joy in this place as we now worship you through our singing and through our giving. Thank you, Lord, for having a, a group of people here, much like the church at Philippi. We're, we're wealthy in comparison but I know, Lord, that we are a giving, generous group. Continue to cultivate that in this church family. And I pray this in your name. Amen.